It is critical you pay attention at this time. The following program is being broadcast to all fans of Nova and for the preservation of the Zendarian homeworld's culture. I am the world mind and I am turning control over to my human host. Welcome to the latest episode of Xandar Radio. I'm Doug Smith, also known online as Nova64, and I run the Nova Prime page at novaprimepage.com. Yeah, in this latest episode, the Learn More in Studio 64 segment has an interview with the writer of the second volume of New Warriors, Jay Ferber. Also, there is a new segment of the podcast called Fan Focus. It will feature a spotlight on Nova fans, the greatest fans in comics, in my opinion. This episode, I interview Nova Prime cosplayer Daniel Matarazzo. So, I'll get started, and I'd like to thank you again for listening and following the show. If this is your first time listening, I'd like to welcome you to the show. I hope you enjoy it, and will become one of the champions of Xandar Radio by following or subscribing to the podcast on your preferred platform. Over in comics, Rich Ryder Nova appears briefly in X-Men Red number 8 by Al Ewing, as Rich continues to be recognized as a valued representative of the galactic community. He also has gained status as a citizen of Mars by the Araco. Al obviously has plans for Nova, and his love of the character hopefully means we'll be getting a solo Rich Rider series from him in the near future. Sam Alexander Nova had a story written by New Warriors and Nova writer Fabian Nicieza in September. It was part of the Marvel Voices Communidades Anthology One-Shot. It is a wonderful short story in which Sam finds himself playing the role of mediator between two alien races. I highly recommend and enjoy the story and would love to see Fabian writing a solo Sam Alexander series. In October, Sam teamed up with his champion's teammate, Viz, in a six-part story arc in Marvel Voices Nova Infinity Comics. It ran in issues number 20 through 25. The two champions discover a spacecraft, which leads them into an intergalactic conflict. The story was only available on the Marvel Unlimited digital app. Now let's go to the Nova Newsroom for updates on the human rocket. The Nova Newsroom. In comics, for free comic book day in May 2023, Marvel has announced that a Marvel Voices issue will be one of the available comics. The issue reprints a number of stories from past Marvel Voices comics and will include a brand new story. Sam Alexander Nova appears on the cover. In other news, Diamond Select Toys has unfortunately announced that their PVC Nova statue has been canceled. The company has stated that it will be resolicited at a future date. Let's take a look at Top's latest Nova digital cards in its Marvel Collect app, and there were quite a few released lately. The Marvel Collect app is free to download and use. The app supplies free coins to purchase cards and also has pay options for diamonds to get exclusive Epic cards. However, I have found that almost all of the Nova cards can be collected without spending real money. Sam Alexander Nova appears along with the New Warriors on two cards of the Graffiti set, five cards in the CMYK set, and the Avengers set has Sam on four cards. Rich Rider Nova appears on two cards in the Pixel set. He also appears on one of the Icon cards and two cards in the Big and Bold set. The Avengers set has Rich on two cards. Rich also appears as Quasar on two of the Some Heroes Do Wear Capes set. And finally, he appears on two of the Inked cards. As always, if you're interested, images of the items mentioned in this news segment can be found at novaprimepage.com. Coming up is the Learn More in Studio 64 segment, featuring an interview with the writer of New Warriors Volume 2, Jay Ferber. Learn More in Studio 64. Welcome to Learn More in Studio 64. I'm thrilled to welcome Jay Ferber, who wrote the second volume of New Warriors, to the show today. 
Hey, Jay. Hey, Doug. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for being here. You know, one thing that I always like to ask comic creators is how they first got into comics, both as, say, a reader and then later as a professional. So I'm just curious how you ventured over into that particular comic book universe. Yeah, I I don't remember the first comic book that I ever bought, but I do remember being obsessed with Super Friends on Saturday mornings and the Adam West Batman and, and you know, that sort of thing. And then so I had an inherent interest in superheroes and I I know I bought comics, but I distinctly remember that New Teen Titans issue 25, which was the middle of like their big space epic where they met Starfire's family and the Omega Men, that was my first issue of the Teen Titans. And that turned me into like a hardcore comic book fan. I, I was familiar with the Titans from the old 60s animated series. And then seeing this comic with that beautiful George Perez art and, and seeing how mature these characters had become, it, it just blew my mind as, as to what comic books were capable of. And I was hooked. Yeah, if you're if you're going to be introduced to them, Wolfman and Perez, hard to go wrong there. Yeah, really? The two of the masters. And was Nova a character you were familiar with then? I was, like, aware of him from the Marvel Universe handbook and from... I remember there was, like, an issue of What If that I had. It was something like, what if Rich Rider hadn't lost the Nova powers, something like that. Yep. And so I knew who he was, but I, I think I'd maybe read one or two issues of his actual comic. So New Warriors was my real introduction to Nova. And and that's the version of the character that I really latched onto, the the the, the Fabian's take on him, rather than the older sort of Marv Wolfman era. Yeah, I was gonna say if you know, during the Teen Titans, yep, that would have been that decade where Nova was just, you know, he didn't exist. He had given up yeah. the powers and Tom DeFalco brought him back. So, right. Did you find that comics were a main influence on you becoming a creator? Oh, yeah, big time. Like, I, uh, throughout my childhood, I would write and draw my own comics. And even into my teen years and, and even into high school. And by the time high school came around, I was writing and drawing my own stuff. And, at that point wanted to be a comic book artist and went to college as an art major for one semester and, and realized pretty quickly that I didn't have, uh, that it was not for me. I, I, I might have some innate artistic talent, but nothing, I didn't have the discipline uh, to, to really get better and, and take my time with my artwork. Uh, and I realized that, in writing and drawing my own comics, what I really was doing was telling stories. And then I could do that just by writing. I didn't have to draw. Uh, so I, I pivoted majors to English and focused solely on writing and, and I was off to the races. I've interviewed a number of creators and it seems like they take different paths like that. Yeah. I know Marv Wolfman and Dan Abnett both started as they wanted to be artists and then they they discover at some point that their strength was in writing. I always wonder about that. Is your experience doing art, uh, understanding how that sequential storytelling works? I'm I'm assuming that really helped accelerate you as a writer for comics as well. Uh Perhaps, yeah. I mean, I, I do think visually, for sure, it, 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 and I think that does help in, in being able to translate, you know, what I see in my head and what we want to see on the page into a script for an artist, for sure. And once you, you know, made that decision, how did your professional path co go along? I, I broke in in an odd way. I had... I was a member of a of a, a Teen Titans fanfic group. So I wrote some fanfic stories. Uh, one of them, I even had like a little series that was sort of an amalgam of the Titans and the New Warriors. Oh. Uh, so that was fun. And then I met, I had become friends through that 
group with Devin Grayson, and she was just starting to get work at DC. Uh, and so she helped make some introductions for me. And my my real break came when I wrote to Mark Powers, who was an editor in the X-Men office, and I was critiquing a recent issue of the X-Men, telling him everything he did wrong and why, you know, I could do it better. <laughs> and uh, he actually sort of called my bluff and was like, okay, I'm going to send you a plot and the artwork from an existing X-Men comic, and I want you to dialogue it. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll give you sort of a tryout. And I did. And I ended up traveling to New York and had a meeting with Mark. And, you know, he was very kind and giving me some time and didn't hire me right away. But he did sort of give me the, his seal of approval for the other editors. And I ended up coming into contact with Frank Pitarisi. And Frank and I, I learned, were both soap opera fans and that gave us some common ground. And, and, you know, we talked about our mutual love of General Hospital. And, <laughs> yeah, and Frank ended up giving me an issue of What If to write. The book had already been canceled. So there was nothing I could damage. And uh, so I wrote an issue of What If. And then he invited me to pitch to take over the Generation X series. And that was my first regular gig. And then I got New Warriors just a year or two later. Wow. That's something. It, you know, it really is sometimes just the weirdest interactions that you have with people that lead to, you know, really good things. So, yeah, I, I would not recommend trying to break in by by criticizing the work. <laughs> <laughs> but I must have, despite how galling that is, like I, 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 do, I have to think I was respectful or else he never would have given me the time of day. You know, I tried to be constructive, but I was a little know-it-all. I was in my 20s, and but it, it worked out. Uh, but I, I would still not recommend that path. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I, that's a great story. Um, <laughs> you know, I came across your original pitch for the New Warrior series. Yes. And that was a lot different than than what we saw we had Speedball, Rage, and Ultra Girl were really the new warriors that people, members people would remember. But then you had other really interesting characters like Free Spirit. There was a new Marvel boy, Vex, and then Janice Vell, at that time known as Legacy. And it seemed like the team formed around Legacy in a battle with Gladiator and the Shi'ar, and you and you had this whole thing mapped out for, I think, 12 issues at an annual. <laughs> and yeah, it was great. I mean, that I mean, there were some good, good subplots and stuff through that. But it again, it, it ended so differently. How how was that process from pitch to what was published? It, w it was a very twisty, turny path. And in fact, that pitch you're talking about was actually the second version of the pitch. The original pitch, which I cannot find, and I don't remember many details of, but I remember that I really wanted the Warriors to be almost anarchists. I really wanted to take what Fabian had established of them being, you know, out to save the world, uh, and they don't care who, what rules they have to break. And, and really lean into that. And so I, I don't even remember the lineup. It might have been a similar lineup, but the idea was that the Warriors realized that it was stupid to keep arresting villains and just having them break out of jail again. And so they had established their own like supervillain prison oh. on a space station or something. Wow. And so they would, every time they would fight a bad guy, they would just imprison him up on their space station. And it, it would build to the Avengers and S.H.I.E.L.D. realizing what the Warriors were doing and, and trying to crack down on them. And the Warriors saying, well, look, you know, your way isn't working. This is the way we want to do it. And I remember Tom Brevoort hated it and was like, the Avengers would never stand for that. They would lock them up. And I was like, yeah, that's the idea. It's conflict. But it did not go over well. So I, I made revisions. And the revisions is the version that you came, that, that you have where I took a different path. And and part of the reason these kept changing was that there were like three different editors involved with the book before it even saw print. Oh. Um, I was invited to pitch by an assistant editor named Julio Soto. 
And he worked under an editor named Tim Tui. And so Julio initially commissioned the pitch from me. I had said in an interview what a big fan I was. And he said, hey, do you want to reboot it? I was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. And I'm trying to think. Julio and Tim both got let go during one of the big sort of company-wide layoffs. And then the book landed with Frank Pitarisi, my editor on Generation X. And Frank had it for a little while. And I can't remember which version of the pitch existed at this point. And then Frank resigned to go work at DC, I think. Or maybe he just resigned, period. And then the book ended up with an editor named editor named Bobby Chase, and she was my editor through through the book itself. And so it went through these changes. There was the prison version that that you know Tom Brevoort uh, did not like, and I don't remember what Julio thought of it to be honest. And then I I reconceived it with the version you read, and then I don't remember why it changed so much to the version that saw print. I don't remember if I was told I couldn't use some of those characters that I wanted to, or yeah, I, I I'm sorry. I just, I, I lost to the, to the sands of time exactly <laughs> how it mutated as much as it did, but it went through a lot of growing pains before it, it actually got published. Well, and that, I mean, you know, that says something to your willingness to stick at it and it, and it worked out. It, it did for 10 issues. Yeah, for 10 <laughs> issues, yeah. Um, but, you know, one thing that you also had, I think, to, you had to work with was Eric Larson had launched the his Nova series, solo series. It looked like you two had a lot of coordination between each other. But yeah, one thing that a lot of us Nova fans, of course, we noticed right away is he had a much different costume than he did over in Eric's, which was the original from Marv's run. And I was always curious what led to that kind of that decision to have the different costume, especially when you had Eric's series going too. Yeah, it was it was kind of weird. When Eric's book launched, I don't think it did very well. So by the time we were launching ours, the Nova sales were already pretty disappointing. And so they wanted this, this, I understand their logic, but it doesn't really make sense to me. They basically didn't want our two books. They didn't want Nova's bad sales to rub off on us. So they wanted new costumes. They kind of wanted to put some distance between the two books. And that's why Nova had a new costume, but they all had new costumes. Like Speedball had a different costume. Uh, Namorita had a different costume. Turbo had a different costume. And I, I vaguely, I, I think that was an editorial decision because they wanted it to look new and updated, which sort of like, to me, that doesn't make much sense when you're relaunching a book and you want to recapture the appeal that that book had. Why are you changing everybody's looks? You know, I, it, it doesn't quite make sense. And so the, the coordination between uh, my book and Eric's was really between me and Eric. The editors, I don't think, wanted us to really interact that much because I think they suspected Nova, the book, was on its way out. But Eric and I being, you know, I don't, that might have been one of the first times we met, but Eric's a great guy and very collaborative and and wanted, you know, he kind of knew, he saw the writing on the wall, but he wanted to help New Warriors in any way he could. So he was helpful to me in, in setting things up. And then when, after Nova got canceled, and the New Warriors book sales weren't great either, and we were bringing in a new artist, I lobbied to put Nova back into his original costume, and I, I we were finally successful. And that's why in issue six, he gets his original costume back. Uh, you know, I was kind of curious when you were talking about editorial being a little hesitant with the Nova look and stuff. Was there any discussion on maybe removing him from your New Warriors roster? Not that I recall. I don't think that ever came up. I think they were they were fine to have him on the team. They just wanted him to have a different suit so he didn't look the same, which, again, was bonkers to me. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is a classic look, the, the yeah. original. So Yeah, it really is. 
And, you know, one person that came from the original series was his girlfriend or former girlfriend at this point, Ginger J. Eric over in his series had had Rich Ryder accidentally kill her husband because he was abusive and Nova's powers were fluctuating and, and really kind of out of his control at one point. But then he he kind of resolved that, that she was pregnant at the time and his parents were going to take Ginger and the baby in and, and help her. But then over in your work with New Warriors, she kind of shows up out of the blue and, and goes public accusing him of murder. I was kind of curious your, uh, how that how that came along in in your plotting for the storylines. It was, that's another one that I can't really remember super clearly. I was just rereading my run a couple of days ago to kind of refresh my memory for this conversation. And I seem to recall, like, we didn't have much notice that the book was going to get canceled. In, in fact, I think we had almost no notice. So I think issue nine is where Ginger comes out and says, like, Rich murdered my husband. And then issue 10 there's a real quick, like, oh, she recanted her statement. Everything's fine. And I I don't remember what our plan was. I think it was just melodrama. We just wanted more conflict and, you know, uh, obstacles, you know, for Nova to deal with. Uh, and then, you know, as we were working on issue 10, we got word that we were being canceled. And so I was able to just sort of tie that story off uh, very abruptly. But I, I, I can't remember what what I was going to build towards had we not been canceled. Yeah, and I, I always thought that having She-Hulk be as lawyer, that was such a nice touch. I love She-Hulk as a lawyer. This speaks to the, the fact that I can't remember where we were going to go with that speaks to one of the sort of struggles with my run on the book was that I wanted, I spoke earlier about how Marv Wolfen and George Perez's Teen Titans was like a huge influence on me. And so was Fabian, his take on the New Warriors. And both of those books were big soap operas. They had long subplots that would, you know, get doled out over issues and issues and months and months. And I wanted to do that in my book as well. But the sales were so precarious that Bobby, my editor, was always really insistent that I not let subplots drag on very long. So if we introduce something, it would have to get resolved in the next issue or two issues later. And so... So I don't really remember what my big master plan was for the book because I didn't, I don't think I really had one because she wouldn't let me, you know, develop these long arcs. Everything had to be like, you know, we hit a problem and the next issue we resolve it. So it was, it was, I didn't get to do the kind of storytelling I really wanted to do. And the irony is of course that we'll never know, but had I been able to do it that way, the book might've been more successful. We'll never know. Yeah, and and one of those subplots you had, it seemed like it was uh, setting up a big conflict between the Zandarians and and Rich Ryder. I, I remember interviewing you some years ago. You had talked about it was Rich Ryder's mistakes, him shattering Diamond Head over in Eric's book, and the incident with Ginger's husband. They were maybe going to come to Earth to kind of have it out with him. Do you remember anything about that particular storyline? You know, I don't. My, my only memories of it are in rereading the old interview you did with me and me thinking like, oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> I don't remember actually coming up with it. I was just like, ah, oh, that uh, young me uh, had, a, had a cool story. But I, I don't really remember it firsthand. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, no, that's, that's okay. I'm trying to remember that too. I remember you had sentence something about once it was all over that there'd be a new heroes for hire team that Rich would be part of. Yeah. And I always kind of wondered if that's why Iron Fist had shown up later in the book. Yeah, you know, the Iron Fist thing, I don't know if he was ever going to be part of the team or not, but I do remember Bobby Chase had an assistant named Brian Smith. Uh, we called Smitty, and Smitty had the idea to you know nobody was doing anything with iron fist and he thought it would be cool if if we you know 
took the powers away from Danny Rand and gave it to a new kid and made him a villain. A lot of that was Smitty's idea. Uh, and I seem to recall, I don't know why, but Smitty's idea was that Danny Rand would lose the Iron Fist powers and then become a new Moon Knight, I think. Oh. And I don't think we were going to do that, but I remember that him pitching it. I don't know why Danny Rand would ever become Moon Knight, but... Well, yeah, that, that'd be quite a 180, but yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you you talked about a lot of dramatic subplots and storylines and such and you know almost complete opposite of that <laughs> you know we saw nova and speedball start to develop a movie script about <laughs> the new warriors and then we got to see we got to see the result of that and i gotta tell you that just that one page where it was supposedly the 10 seconds of the movie that were done. I laughed right. so hard that, <laughs> oh my God, that was so funny. That whole, you know, almost Power Ranger-y yeah. Yeah. Uh, Transformer type of deal. That was just a riot. And, you know, one of the other things that was in that section was in continuing a, a, a long Nova tradition where a creative team shows up in the book and interacts with Nova, you and Jamal show up as producer and director. I just wonder if you remember anything about that, because I, I love when they when creative teams do that. Yeah, I think that was just a gag. Like, I don't think it was building to anything more than what you saw there. It was just a fun subplot to play with for a couple issues. And I'm glad that, that the payoff worked for you. It was, it was fun. And I think it might have been Jamal's idea to actually put us in the story. But that was that was a lot of fun. That was my big regret was that we didn't have Jamal on the book from the start, because once he got on there, he and I really meshed well together. Uh, and I, I think the book was stronger once he got there. But by then it was almost too late. Yeah. And that, you know, that is it's regrettable that you guys didn't get a longer run because you guys, you both have developed into such talented professionals that I think if it had kept going, the book would have just gotten better and better. I'd like to think so too. After that, you, I think, I don't know, was this after New Warriors or during your time through there that you started working in television? Uh, that was after New Warriors. That, that was, that was uh, years after. Okay. And you've done uh, work for Ringer and Supergirl over on CW, which you know, my granddaughter, she loves the Supergirl series. Just, oh, cool. She's one of the, yeah, she's been binging out on it. And, <laughs> you know, I'm at season two and she blew past me a long time ago. <laughs> and so I think I have a little, little more street cred with her now because I'm Good. talking to you. How old is she? She is 13. Oh, great. So a great age for her to, you know, be introduced to Supergirl. Yeah, that's that's a great age for that show, yeah. And how did you get over into the television industry? I was, I've always been a huge television fan, and I was sort of inspired by my friend Brian Vaughn, who got hired on Lost. And I, I you know, talking to him and hearing his stories about being in a writer's room and everything, I, I just decided that I had to give it a shot. I had to try or I knew I'd regret it. And so I wrote a TV sample and I applied to a lot of the TV studios have their own sort of writers boot camp, you know, fellowship programs. And so I applied to all of them and I managed to get into Warner Brothers and I moved to L.A. and went through this program that sort of gives you sort of a crash course in TV writing. And from there got staffed on my first show, which was Ringer on the CW. And then over the years, I've bounced around on a handful of different shows. Uh, and my most recent was a return to the CW with uh, Supergirl. Yeah, that's it's really good when you see the industry try to, you know, develop talent. You know, they don't just expect people show up knowing everything and, and they take time yeah. to develop people. That's great. That's really great. I always wondered when you're writing for a TV series that has superheroes involved in it, like Supergirl, and you have 
the dynamics seem like that would be so different because you have a huge cast and, and you have a crew of people and professionals working on it versus, say, you know, a superhero comic, which, you know, comparatively, that's a, a, a tight, you know, small group of creators working together. Do you have a preference or is it, uh, you know, just a different set of dynamics or is it not all that different at all? Uh, no, it's pretty different. And I, I don't think I have a preference. I, I, I like to have both, to be able to, to play around in both because the comic books, I mean, yes, it's collaborative with your editor and your artist and, and your creative team, but actually writing the story is is very, uh, has a lot of solitude. You're, you're sitting at your desk by yourself. Whereas in a TV writer's room, you know, is much more collaborative. You're collaborating as you're writing with the, the other writers on staff. And and so I I like that collaboration, but I also like being able to pivot to comics when I want to just sort of have a little more solitude and a little more creative control. So it's, it's they're, they are very different just because television is such a huge machine. And like you said, there are, you know, we have big crews with, you know, hundreds of people. So it's it's there's a lot of lot more people to deal with in the television version. Yeah, I I guess I forgot about there being other writers. I, I I don't know why I wouldn't think about that, but I always kind of wonder as you're writing characters for the TV series. Obviously, you know you have a voice in your head saying how they're going to dialogue, how they're going to talk, and you dialogue to that. But I would imagine the actors. At a certain point, they also have how they interpret it and they, you know, work with it. Do you work closely with the actors and, and does that affect how you you write the characters? Yeah, definitely. I mean, some actors will just say whatever is in the script and, and they'll make it work. Some give more thought to it and, and might have different opinions about like, well, my character wouldn't say that my character, they would never express themselves that way. And then it's a conversation, you know, you, you can try to sort of argue your side of why you think they would say it, or you, you find a compromise and you say, okay, well, how do you think they would express this? Like, what, what's your take? And it's, and you know, you, you, you work through it. And then knowing these actors, you know, the more you work with them and then the more they understand their characters, like on Supergirl, we had a, uh, you're not there yet, but at some point the character of Brainiac 5 joins the show. And the actor who played Brainy was incredibly gifted and incredibly funny. And so we would give him more and more jokes and, and write more towards that comedy because he was so good at it. And I mean, we could, I remember writing an episode where he, there was a big monster that he was trying to taunt into attacking him. And, you know, I had written a couple like insults for him to yell at the monster. And then we just let the camera roll and told him to just riff. And the stuff he came up with was so funny. A lot of it ended up in the show because he had such a strong, you know, control over his character and what he would say and how he would say it. So yeah, it's, it's very collaborative in that regard. You know, I would think that would almost, you know, that would feeling how you're going to write things for the future, too, for the character. And again, very different than comics. And, you know, one thing that I when I was looking up stuff on you and online is I found that you're you're a fan of crime novels. Yes. Do, do, you, have a, do you have a favorite uh, book or author? Uh, my favorite author of all time is probably Robert B. Parker, who wrote the Spencer novels. And that's what got me interested in, in prose and, and crime novels to begin with. Uh, he has since passed away, but he's sort of my, my idol in that regard. These days, I love my kind of go-to is Robert Craze, writes a great detective series that I devour every time he puts a new one out. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite book. I have favorite series, but I, I don't know if I can determine an actual favorite novel. So are you also a fan of film noir? Uh, yeah, to a degree. Film noir can sometimes get a little too bleak for me. I'm a little more of a happy ending guy, but, but I, I do like a good noir. Like I love Chinatown, Double Indemnity. There's a great 
70s noir movie with Robert Culp and Bill Cosby, of all people, Uh-oh. called Hickey and Boggs that I really love. Also curious, Jay, what uh, what other projects are you are you currently working on? I'm juggling a few different things at the moment. I'm out pitching an, a new series, an animated series that I'm hoping we can sell somewhere. And then in the comic book world, I am I have a new graphic novel coming out from Oni, October 25th, called Area 510, and it's a it's a sci-fi crime adventure, basically. It's it's a, a cop who is handcuffed to a criminal and they have to survive an alien invasion. So it's it's a large-scale alien invasion, but we only stay with these two characters and see it all through their eyes. That comes out from Oni at the end of October. Then I have two new graphic novels that I'm in the process of writing that both have publishers but haven't been announced yet. One is a sort of a lighthearted crime story, and the other is a sort of uh, young adult superhero father and son bonding story. And hopefully we'll be able to talk more about those, uh, I don't know, in a few months, whenever whenever the, the, uh, the contracts get signed. Oh, good. Okay. Wow, those sound great. Sign, you had me at sci-fi and crime together. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, I'm in. I love a good genre, Masha. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd like to encourage everyone listening to pick those up as well, because they sound great to me, and, and I'm sure everybody else would love them too. You know, I did have a question about New Warriors that just kind of popped in my head. Uh, you were talking earlier about how you, for the plots, you, you would tend to go for the kind of the longer game on those. Mm-hmm. But then as things sort of changed and, and they became more of single or, or two-issue stories, we also saw a number of crossovers start with, uh, I think it was, was that Gen X that, that popped up? Yeah, there was Gen X and then there was an Iron Man. Yeah, the sentient Iron Man. Were those more uh, editorial driven or to kind of get readers from those books to come over? I think with Generation X, a lot of it was the fact that I was also writing Generation X at the time, and it just felt like it would be fun. I I can't remember whose idea it was at the top. With Iron Man, that was suggested by Bobby, because I think she was also editing Iron Man at the time. And that sentient Iron Man armor story we thought was going to have some heat and that we might get get some Iron Man readers if, if we did a crossover. I don't know that we really saw a boost. I mean, it was the book got canceled the very next issue. Right. But but I in rereading it, I thought I thought it was fun. It, it made sense to have Iron Man show up the way he did and and I thought it was a I thought it was a pretty the crossover didn't feel forced, put it that way. It it felt like a new warrior story to me. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's what I liked I think the most about it. I I one I'm a big Iron Man fan, so I liked that storyline to begin with. But like you say, it didn't feel forced. You saw the team. I thought you saw a whole bunch of teamwork working together, but there was still the yeah. There was still some of the the drama between some of the members, especially Namorita and Nova, that kind of had come carried over from Eric's time. Yep. Yeah, that, and I think it showed them work very well as a team. Yeah, by that point, they they had gotten there. Yeah. Were there any things you'd like to say to the fans of, of New Warriors and Nova? I don't know. I, I just, I still love that team and Nova in particular. And I, that book has a warm place in my heart, but at the same time, I still feel I got that book too soon. I, I was such a new writer and it was a great blessing to be able to work on like one of my dream books when I was so new to the business. But I, I think that I would have handled it better if I had had some more experience under my belt and we might have gotten a longer run. So it's, it's, it's sort of a bittersweet look back for me. Well, and I do thank you so much for taking a look back with us. Yeah, it was fun. Again, I, I really do appreciate your time, Jay. Glad to be here, man. This was fun. Fan Focus. I'd like to welcome you to the new segment called Fan Focus. In this segment, what we'll do is we'll interview various Nova fans and from different walks of life and how they became Nova fans and and just talk Nova in general. 
Our first interview will be with Daniel Matarazzo, a Nova cosplayer who has just a fantastic Nova Prime uniform, and I'd like to welcome him to the show today. Hey, Daniel. I would like to thank you for this opportunity to tell you and your listeners about my Nova, and thank you for being a fan. Oh, you know what? It is my absolute pleasure. Uh, Thank you for joining us and uh, spending some time with us to talk about being a Nova cosplayer. Uh, When did you first become a Nova fan, and what was it about him that appealed to you? I got hooked on Nova since the early 80s when I unknowingly started collecting comic books. At one point, I had over 5,000 comic books in my collection. I've always been a fan of Nova. One thing that stood up was the respect he gave his parents and his famous blue blazes expression. Though I must admit, my first bill was actually Black Spider-Man from the Secret War back in the 80s. Oh, that, you know, that's great. I, you know, I love to hear people's, the way they first encounter the character, to be honest. I I think that it's, We all have our own stories, and uh, thank you so much for sharing yours. But, you know, making that leap from being a a reader of Nova to a Nova cosplayer is quite a jump. Do you recall how that happened, uh, when that happened, and what led you to venture into the world of cosplay? The jump occurred two folds. I wanted to introduce my daughters to cosplay. So I needed something for myself. I decided on Nova. To be more specific, Nova Prime. Sure, the human rocket was cool, and his adventures with the new warriors, a good read. But Prime, that storyline was awesome. From the storyline to the artwork and the ink, I wanted to be Prime. My first build was all EVA form, but it was such a hit, I rebuilt it about four times. Really? Wow. Thanks, Daniel. You know, I've seen you've had you've posted a number of uh, photos on the Nova message board for with your Nova Prime costume. And it is absolutely fantastic. I, I love it a lot. You've done just wonderful work. Can you take me through the process of how you create it, uh, beginning with the design uh, through the finished version? I wanted my build to be as accurate as possible, but also my own. I choose black instead of the dark blue. The gold pieces that I make out of foam or war block or 3D print, I made them out of anodized aluminum by hand. The chest and back, I wanted that armor look, so I made it out of fiberglass with EVA foam on the outside. I can actually take a punch and not feel it. Yeah, yeah, I imagine so. The helmet is cast resin. I've been doing Nova for years, so my helmet took a beating. So I gave it to my good friend, Jesse Malero, a master builder, to repair it and paint it, and he did not disappoint me. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. And, you know, that, of course, leads me to uh, my next question is, I really curious about the materials that uh, you use in your costume. Uh, what type of fabrics and materials do you use for it? And how do you put something like that together? Because obviously yours is just extremely well done. The bodysuit is spandex. The chest plate is fiberglass, anodized aluminum, and EVA foam. Making a mold of my torso and laying the fiberglass resin and cloth to make the shape, I laid the EVA foam on top. It was just a matter of looking at comic books from all different angles to get the look that I wanted. Since then, I've added the vest to look more like the present comic book version where he matches the colors of the Guardians. Wow, jeez, holy cow, that... I had, I had, honestly, I had no idea it was so elaborate and that there is so much 
put into those various materials. I honestly had no idea. So thank you for, for sharing that. Um, you know, if you don't mind my asking, uh, on average, what does a, a cosplayer spend on on their work and their art? And how does your Nova compare to the average? I do not keep track of time. It will feel like a chore. And I like to enjoy what I do. The dollar signs, I'm not even going to go there. But I was once offered 1500 bucks if I will make a helmet like mine. I do not 3D print anything. This is taboo to say, but 3D printing is not building. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's just not my style. Okay. Well, that sounds good. That's, that's fair enough. Um, well, thank you, Daniel. And of course, I know that you attend a number of conventions as Nova Prime. And I would imagine that attending a convention in costume, uh, you know, it has to be something of a grind in some ways. What kind of wear and tear do you find yourself and the costume subjected to, say, during your time at a convention? Everything I build is made to last. For example, my kids love Attack on Titan. So like most, I build it with cardboard. After one use, they were pretty beat up. People bump into you all the time. When I was in Japan, I got to see the actual stuff. Took tons of pictures, and I rebuilt everything out of aluminum. That was years ago, and they're still in one piece. To me, that is important. I do not make bills to enter contests. I like to have fun, so they need to last. To me, it's the people that count, and they are the reasons I'm still cosplaying at my age. I would have to think that, you know, you'd have to be in some really good shape just from looking at the way you are in the, in the costume. Obviously, you're in good shape, so I'm sure that comes in handy during the conventions. Uh, speaking of the conventions... Uh, one of the most rewarding parts of doing a, a cosplay, and in your case, the Nova Prime one, uh, I would imagine that the rewarding part would be meeting fans of the character, especially the kids. Can you share some of your experiences that you've had at the conventions? Nova has been a blast from the beginning. It led me to build a great relationship with Rick, who does an awesome Star-Lord. A Marco, whose rocket is one of a kind. Having people stopping us to take pictures is the best reward, especially kids. One time, two kids were dressed as Star-Lord and Nova and wanted to take pictures with us. It was great. The biggest moment was when a man chased me down the aisle because there was someone who wanted to take a picture of me. To my surprise, it was Andy Lanning one of the people responsible for Nova Prime. That was an awesome moment that I still remember. It happened in Megacon. Oh, that's great. You know, I, I, I love seeing, you know, I love seeing younger people and especially kids at conventions. And, and I've seen them interact with cosplayers, you know, other cosplayers. And just, you know, you see the looks in their eyes and they just, you know, they just come to life it, just meeting someone that looks like their hero. And, and I'm glad to have to hear that you've, you've had some really good experiences with that. I'm guessing you've met and interacted with a number of, of other cosplayers. It seems like a pretty tight community. Have you found them to be a friendly group or is it competitive or... Does it really just like, you know, society? Does it just depend on the people that you're around? Every time I go to a con, I meet new people. Some have become good friends. Today, most think that having followers is what it's all about. I'm glad that they like what I do enough for them to follow me. But I'm lucky if I interact with a small percentage. But all in all, 90% of cosplayers are very friendly once you get to know them. Most of them in their private life are kind of shy, and cosplaying is their way to bring themselves out. And Daniel, I'd like to ask if you, um, do you have any plans for other Nova characters besides Nova Prime? 
that you would like to cosplay and uh, which conventions can we look forward to seeing you at in the near future? I have everything to make the original Nova, but having had the time, in December, I'll be a holiday con in Tampa and I will be wearing a Nova Prime holiday version, something that no one's ever done before. My next con will be holiday con in Tampa, the Notaku Fest in Miami, HeroCon in Fort Myers, MegaCon in Orlando, SuperCon in Miami Beach. Those are confirmed. There will be more as I'm also looking to go to New York City and doing some others. You can follow me on Instagram, Nova Course Cosplay, or on Facebook for more information as I post them. Well, those those sound great, Daniel. And and I'd like to encourage any uh, listener if they're going to be at the at uh, any of the conventions that Daniel's going to be at here in the new future, make sure to to find him and and say hello and and obviously get some photos with him. And you know you can send them here to Xandar Radio, and I'll make sure they get on the Nova Prime page or on the Nova Message Board on Facebook. And I'd like to to give you a special thanks, Daniel. Thanks for joining us today. It was great to have you, great to meet you, and and to learn a little more about you. So thanks again. Final thoughts. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Xandar Radio. I hope you enjoyed it and look forward to receiving your feedback. Send your comments as a voice message, and it may be played in a future episode. And of course, you're always welcome to send an email to xandarradio at gmail.com or leave a post at the Xandar Radio Facebook page. All avenues of contact can be reached at novaprimepage.com slash podcasts.asp. I'd like to extend a very big thank you to Jay Ferber and Daniel Matarazzo for taking time to be interviewed. Thanks, guys. And thank you for taking time to listen to the program today. The next episode of Xandar Radio will be released in January as the podcast moves to a bi-monthly format for the near future. It will have the latest Nova news, fun features, and a new Studio 64 roundtable session as we take a look at Annihilation. Until then, have a blue blazing day. This is the World Mind. I am taking back control from my human host. Zunda Radio is a Studio 64 production of the Nova Prime page. This program is the property of Doug Smith. Nova and other characters mentioned are Trademarks of Marvel Characters, Incorporated. All rights reserved. Music heard in the program is by Chad Crouch. A link to his site and the license can be found at novaprimepage.com.